Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. It's Tuesday. I guess whenever you're listening to this, it's whatever day you choose to hit play or download or subscribe or rate. You know, you know the drill. <laughs> anyway, welcome to the show. Uh, kind of new look, refresh for this year. Uh, this is going to be a fun show. On Tuesdays, when we record these on Tuesdays, we're bringing in the czar of the playbook, Emery Hunt. Emery, what's up, man? What's going on, Nando? Good to see you, man. Oh, this is great, right? This, I mean, this is so, so I'm gonna so I get the rundown is intro Emery and his philosophy, and that was just kind of a vague number one. Uh, I might rant for a minute here in a good way, but for those of you who aren't familiar with Emery, uh, I'll just tell you like we met many years ago, um, and like whenever we'd have like a mock draft or something, it's I'm like let's get Emery because you know we in the fantasy community and everything you listen to on fantasy, there's like a ton of groupthink. And the one thing that like, I try to do, and I get a lot of crap for it, is you know bring up some players no one's ever heard of, or people aren't liking, or they didn't think of. And it's kind of like, oh, I, I found this guy Emery Hunt who's doing the same thing, uh, but it makes a lot more sense the way he says it. Like if that makes sense to people, like it, it's Emery's a former uh, running back. Um, he's just one of the brightest minds I know. Has this humongous scouting guide every year for college football. People he's actually seen live and watch tape on and watch their games it's just like very rich and full of depth um but anyway like so we were doing these mock drafts and i just kind of like it says screw it i'm taking the guys i want to take and he was kind of like three rounds early on patrick mahomes one year and like you know last year's like lamar jackson's gonna be a big star two years ago halfway through the season he's like the ravens have to start him he's gonna be awesome he's gonna transform that offense the week before kiki qt had his big breakout game Emery wrote this column about how, you know, look out for Kiki QT. He's going to break out this week. And here are, like, the eight reasons why. Um, so that's what we're going to be dealing with on this show is the brain of Emery Hunt. Um, and it's very unique and awesome and fun. And if you want, like, a lot more of him, you go to footballgameplan.com. You can follow on F-Ball Game Plan. Wait, is that right? Is it F-Ball Game Plan? F-Ball Game Plan, correct. The F-Ball Game Plan. Uh, so anyway, that's that's the introduction, Emery. I'm not going to do this every show. This is the introduction for the first time we're going to be doing the show <laughs> together, just so you get a feel. But... uh I mean, am I leaving anything out? Is there anything I'm, I, I haven't forgotten about? Nah, nah, you you hit the nail on the head, man. I appreciate that intro. It's just that people always ask, why do I think the way I do? But I think a lot of it is just coming from, you know, when you start something on your own, you start football game plan. Why would I create something new to be like everyone else? I'm not going to create an outlet just to parrot the stuff that I hear from everywhere else because that wouldn't make you stand out or make you unique um so or make you true you know what you know what i like about you is it's you're usually right too well that's the thing because you're not doing it just to be different right i'm not doing it just to be different it, it you know at the end of the day i always say i'd rather be wrong by myself than wrong in a group you know so at least i'm thinking by myself or for myself and to be honest i do believe people make football out to be this complicated thing when it's so simple the the average person can understand what's going on. They could watch a game and see who's good and who's not. I think what happens is, as with anything, when you get to the analysis part of it, the overanalysis can talk people in or out of a of a player. And nine times out of ten, it talks people out of, you know, something that's so obvious. Like, hey, man, Lamar Jackson's good. Take him first overall. Like, that was a no-brand. Let's move on to the next player we're talking about. Right. That, to me, seems so easy to to identify. Like, why are we... Wasting so much time debating this. He's doing it, you know? And, you know, so there's that angle to it, but there's also the angle, and I think, like, this is this is kind of, this is how my brain works, and maybe yours is the same. Uh, it's like, I, like, when I find out that my analysis isn't, like, the group analysis, I'm actually kind of surprised. I'm like, what do you, like, really? Like, what am, what am I missing here? Like, why do I like this person, and it feels so right, uh, and you don't? And it's just, it's weird to me. I think maybe you have the same kind of experience when you do that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and if, you know, not to call out names, but, you know, there was one particular player last year during the draft process that everyone was talking about. This guy is the most elusive guy in the draft. And I'm watching it. I'm like, I mean, to me, maybe I just have a different definition of elusiveness, you know, because to me, that means make someone miss and, you know, consistently not just make someone miss and stay in the same spot. You know, <laughs> just I don't yeah. I don't see that. And so. And I just think that nowadays with a lot of the advanced metrics and things of that nature, everyone is trying to create 
something new to make themselves seem like the smartest guy in the room. You should never want to be the smartest guy in the room because it shows that you're not learning. Um, and you see that a lot with within this community and within the football community as a whole. You know, you, you get, let's say, the X's and O's community. Everyone wants it to sound like they're the smartest coach or, you know, here's some jargon that I'm going to throw out there to show my knowledge. Like, bro, it's just a slant. I mean, there's no <laughs> other way. You could, it's a slant, you know. So um, I, I just don't I, – I, I always want to keep things simple, make it easier to understand, easier to digest. And that way I can – if it's easier to understand and digest, then I can give someone more information than what the average person, um, you know, can, can you know, uh, give someone. I also like uh, when, when you – I think your first column you did two years ago. Happy happy almost anniversary. Oh, uh, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. It was, I think the headline was always bet on talent. And that's what I always liked about like the, the way you analyze like it's It's kind of like the situation might not be perfect right now, but like this guy is better. And I think the, the poster boy for that was Tariq Cohen like two years ago, before, right before his breakout game, like a couple hours before his breakout game. You were saying something like you can't catch – wait, you can't touch what you can't catch – you can't hit you can't what you can't what catch. You, can. yeah. you can't hurt what you can't touch. Yeah. And then, so, you know, oh, Tariq Cohen, man, I'm telling you, he's awesome. He's got this, you know, this playmaking ability. Um, yeah, I think he was doing kick returns and punt returns at the time. And you're like, if you're, if you're excelling at those, a coach is going to notice that, and he's going to put you in at running back because you have that playmaking ability. It's not like you're forever stuck as a kick or punt returner because if you have that skill, that skill is going to be used in the open field. And I guess the game moves more and more toward that kind of like open field thing. Um, and it, like I, no one had ever kind of said that. And then you know, three hours later, Tariq Cohen. I think that was like his hundred something yard game with a touchdown. Or something. Yeah, it was his debut game. It was the debut. It was the open. Was it, it was his debut game. Yeah. yeah. It was debut. <laughs> All right, there you go. <laughs> See, I got a good memory. <laughs> but that's a, that's what I'm saying. Like at the end of the day, I guess that just comes from a a player's background of understanding. You know, the best guy is gonna play theoretically. Now there are some cases where coaches you know, play favorites and things of that nature. But for the most part, if a coach wants to do his job right and wants to win, it, it'll be hard to watch this dude to Rick Cohen, do the things that he does out there on the field and think like, you know what, man, he's good right there. He's good with two touches a game. No, we got to find ways to continue to give him the ball. I always say this. I'm just glad that, you know, a guy like, um, you know, Barry Sanders played in an era when he did, because if he played now, they try to make him a third down back or a scat back or, oh, yeah, he'll just handle, you know, um, punt return duties. And, oh, we could just use him in the passing game because he could be a good receiver out in space. Like, no, if someone is that good to do all of those things, how about you put him in a situation where he can do all those things all the time? Right, right. And that's what this, see, that makes sense, right? And that's, you know, kind of what we're trying to cut through here is that's football that game plan slogan, man, where football makes sense. That's it. <laughs> All roads lead back to the slogan. <laughs> Strategy, man. So, you know, so I figured like, you know, instead of just kind of waxing poetic on Emory, we would just kind of like do that show, not tell thing and uh, get into some players and just like your thoughts on them and why you like them and why you maybe don't like them or whatever. I don't want people to get bored with us just talking about how great you are. You know? Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, if you don't mind. they'll see that enough right now. They'll <laughs> Uh, by the way, congratulations. So, Emery Hunt, um, this is not your only podcast. Uh, you're going to be on the Ross Tucker Podcast Network. Oh, right. Yeah, that's right, man. I appreciate that. You know what? It's Let's just plug it. Hey, people like you. They should be able to find you in more places, right? So, here we go. Google me. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> uh, and also, if you're into gambling, Emery's like the number one sports line accuracy expert. Number one in, in both NFL and college football. That's pretty hard to do, and it's pretty amazing considering that I don't bet. Yeah, well, maybe uh, you should. Maybe this should. Maybe this is telling you you live in New Jersey. Let's start betting. But here's the thing: I guarantee, if I start betting, my success rate will go down a thousand percent. It's because I don't have any emotion or skins in the game, so I'm looking at it straight from an analysis standpoint. Um, but if I was to invest emotion into it now, no. It's truly selfless of you to help the people. That's what I'm here for. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get, into, let's get into it. Let's get into it. The Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast with Emory Hunt. Uh, the, the most intriguing, so I've edited all your stuff this preseason and offseason, um, and I feel like the most intriguing duo that you've written about that I hadn't even been on my radars were Lynn Bowden and Bryce Love. 
Um, and you made like these compelling arguments for both of them. And the articles are they're out on the site if you want to check them out. Um, but we'll start with Lynn Bowden because I like I'm the biggest Josh Jacobs fan in the entire world. Um, I'm under the impression that he had this good season. He was playing with a I think a broken shoulder. Um, you know, they, someone told Matthew, the GM told Matthew Berry that they were going to evolve him in the passing game a little more. Um, and then Murray Hunt comes along and he's like Lynn Bowden, man. Like he's kind of like a jack of all trades. He's got the skill. Uh, he might bite into Josh Jacobs a little bit. Uh, can you get into that just a little bit, like the Lynn Bowden phenomenon? Because I know a lot of the commenters are like, well, he doesn't really have a position. You know, he hasn't really proven much. And you were just kind of like, by the way, kudos to Emery for basically answering every question in the comments. Uh, you're kind of like, no, that's not, th- that's kind of follows the thinking. Like he's just good. And you don't take a guy in the third round if you're not going to play him. I, I think, I think when you look at Josh Jacobs, right. And you look at what he did in college, he, you know, missed some times, dealt with some nagging injuries. He dealt with some injuries as a rookie. And, you know, the biggest question for him coming out of college was whether or not he could handle the load, right? Because he'd never been a starter. He was always a a reserve, a spot guy. Um, And so this was his first experience in being a full-time back. And, you know, he missed three games. Um, So with that being a backdrop, you look at Lynn Bowden and you think, okay, they're going to bring in someone to – first of all, the first thing they did – when they drafted Bowden was to say that he's going to be a running back, which blew my mind away because it's like, wow, I was excited for him as a slot receiver because that's what he was essentially at Kentucky before all their quarterbacks got injured on a depth chart, literally. And they had to put him back there at quarterback and they just ran, you know, zone read and wildcat run plays all game long. And he did a great job in doing that, you know, and, and, uh, helping that team get to a bowl game. And he really was a, you know, the key cog in that offense, just running the football, they barely threw. Um, and, and so when you look at them moving him, the running back, I'm like, okay, it's not like he's going to go and be your traditional running back because his background is grounded in the receiving position at wide receiver. So he's going to be the guy that's going to catch the passes. And it also helps them have Jacobs out there for the full 16 game season to where they don't have to really depend on him because in this game, especially in this era of COVID-19, you're going to need everybody on the roster. And so to depend on one guy is fool's goal. And even if it wasn't, you know, a COVID era, I think because of the fact that Jacob showed last year that, you know, he, he was banged up a bit that kind of along with John Gruden being, um, you know, who John Gruden is and he can't stick with just one guy. He has rarely done it in his career. I love how folks in the comments were like, well, what about this? And Cadillac and he, Williams. Exactly. I'm like, great. That's <laughs> one guy out of 10. You know, I just gave you 75 examples and you point to the one that so well, see, he did it here. Like, great. And that was also what a decade, 15 years ago. Um, yeah. So everything Gruden has done has shown you even when he, and I was a big Napoleon Kaufman fan And I thought there's no reason for me to give Tyrone Wheatley, who I was a big fan of at Michigan. But when you see the Raiders with Napoleon Kaufman, you're like, why would you even bother giving the ball to someone else? And so even then, he was able to split carries with Wheatley and Kaufman, Garner and Wheatley and so on and so forth. You know, Dunn and Allstott. Allstott really took away a lot of the yards that Dunn could have potentially had. Uh, because of the whole split. And even though it was one year, you know, before Dunn went on to the the, uh, Atlanta Falcons, but Gruden has shown you time and time again that he's going to, you know, split that backfield. And I think when you look at a guy like Bowden Bowden splitting with uh, Jacobs and where it could affect Jacobs, it's not going to affect him in the running department because that's going to be all Jacobs as a receiver. That's where you're going to see the biggest impact for, for uh, Bowden because it gives them that dynamic of a guy that's going to have a running back number on, who's going to be in the backfield, but then you're going to see a situation where they motion him out or they get him matched up on a linebacker, and now you think just because this guy has a running back number, he's a running back, you can probably match up well with a linebacker. No, that's a legit receiver back there that's going to have so many opportunities to catch football and be a big part of this offense. And his ability out there, 
will open up things in a run game, I think, a little bit more for Jacobs. So it would be wise for them to have both guys on the field at the same time. And and if you're just looking at it from, well, when Jacobs comes in, Jacobs gonna they're going to get him involved in the pass game a little bit more. I, I doubt that if, if that was the case, one, they wouldn't have drafted uh, Bowden, and two, wouldn't have immediately said that he's going to be a running back. So I think those two things, uh, because if you look at it from a slot receiver perspective, if they just left him as you know inside as a slot receiver, then what the hell would they do with Hunter Renfro? So drafting right. him and also making him a running back, to me, points to him being heavily involved in his offense. Uh there are a billion different ways I want to go with this right now, but the the one that kind of sticks out to me because he's always kind of like a had a little special place in my heart, and he's on the Saints now. Ty Montgomery. It sounds like you could have just described Ty Montgomery there when you're talking about Lynn Bowden. And every year, I just keep feeling like Ty Montgomery. You're gonna the breakout man because he's that running back, wide receiver. You can put him all over the field, maybe create a, ma- a mismatch, you know, with some kind of trickery or whatever, or even just some normal playing football. Is he? I mean, is there anything there? Uh, especially, I mean, with the Saints now who kind of get creative with, with some of their personnel to make someone say, hey, Ty Montgomery, you know, uh, that kind of hybrid role could work here, especially for the Saints. I am so done with trying to figure out Sean Payton's mind because there was at one point in time this guy had Mark Ingram, C.J. Spiller, Kendall Hunter, Darren Sproles in the backfield and chose to give the ball to Travaris Cadet and Pierre Thomas. Like, what the hell are you doing? I you know, that year. Yeah. yeah, it's like w- w- you have all of all of this explosiveness, and you choose to give the ball to this guy. You have a backfield that had Reggie Bush and Mark Ingram, and you found ways to give ball give the ball to Pierre Thomas or Travaris Cadet. Like so, on paper, it should be Alvin Kamara and Ty Montgomery, but it may end up being Dwayne Washington who gets a ton of carries. You know, right in, in this offense, but. I think all jokes aside, when you look at Montgomery, it's tough to really peg him because initially when he came out, it was great because he was just transitioning from receiver to running back. But I think now he's probably more settled into a running back role. He's embraced the the uh, his role as the back that can catch, you know, as opposed to the receiver that's in the backfield, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, yeah right. And, and so I think for him – his role will probably end up being, you know, I don't think he'll have a significant role in that Saints offense because I think it will still run through Drew Brees. And now that they have Emmanuel Sanders um, and Jared Cook and, you know, Adam Troutman, who's going to have a huge year, in my opinion, as a rookie tight end, I think the passing game will still take precedent over what they want to do in a running game. There, I mean, to me, it's almost like there is no need for Montgomery uh, within that Saints offense, I'll drop him down. Then uh, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to blow past this Adam Troutman thing. But what are you seeing there? I mean, think about what made Jimmy Graham Jimmy Graham. Right, he was the the receiver type tight end that didn't really block, uh, but you know you matched him out against the cornerback, and he was a mismatch. He was great in the red zone. He could high point the football because of his basketball background. And when you look at what happened after he left New Orleans, the Saints have been dying for a tight end. You know, they tried the Josh Hill thing. It was okay. Uh, they wanted to make Dan Arnold a thing, but he, you know, being a former receiver in college, turning to tight end at the pro level, he just couldn't. Every time you look up, he was dropping passes in the end zone. And so that got him run out of town. He's He ended up in Arizona uh, last year. And you saw the benefit of that offense when they got Jared Cook and what that tight end position means in that Saints offense and how good he could be. Now, with all of that being, you know, the the evidence, imagine getting a tight end that has the route running ability, that has the ability to, you know, separate, that can go up and get the football at his highest point, also can be a catch and run player. That's what they're getting in Adam Troutman. You also think about how they acquired him. They traded back into the draft, gave up the rest of their picks to get Troutman when they did. You know, so the Saints were was done after the draft. Um when they took him and they had to trade back into the seventh round to take Tommy Stevens, uh, the backup quarterback that also can play H back, you know, out of Mississippi state. So they were deciding to, Hey, we're going to, we don't need the rest of these picks once we make this move to get Troutman. So again, it tells you that he figures to be exactly what they look for in that position. 
something they really haven't had since Jimmy Graham. And his talent is tremendous. He was, you know, the top player out the FCS offensively, in my opinion. And you factor hit in the fact that he went down to the senior bowl, did well there. So the step up in competition wasn't a thing for him. And so him being the second tight end in this offense where the attention now would be on Cook, which means you're going to have him in more favorable matchups. Troutman is going to be outstanding this year. Nice. This is what this show is going to be awesome. All like I'm taking notes. Like, like okay, <laughs> move Troutman up. Um, you know, th- so you made me think of something there when, when you're talking about how the the multi-positional players. And again, I'm sorry, we haven't even gotten to number three on the rundown yet. But um, this is this is how our brains are going to work, I think. Uh, and you mentioned the COVID stuff earlier. So like the guys who are multi-positional, you assume might be a little more valuable this year because people go down, whatever, whatever. We can get to that like in a couple episodes. But I kind of like an overview. Because uh, I'm, you know, I'm living in both worlds with baseball and football, and baseball is just such a mess right now, and it's like just so dumb. Um, but football, I mean, I know there's there's going to be some issue, but I've always kind of viewed it, and you know, having like you know written about both forever, and like having been in the locker rooms and knowing a lot of the players and stuff like that. And this is not a knock on baseball players, although it might be, but football players just seem like they're more of a team. You know, like they're more, they're, you know, when you talk to someone in the locker room, they're like, I don't want to talk, go ask the offensive line. They did all the work for me. Um, and there's a lot more accountability there because you're almost playing as like this one kind of cohesive unit as opposed to baseball where there's, I guess there's some cohesion there, but it's really like go up and hit. Um, do you think that maybe all these people who are worried about the football season getting canceled because of COVID and this and that might be overblowing it? a bit just because they maybe don't understand like the mentality of a football team. Like I know there's always going to be like the Ezekiel Elliott out there who's, you know, the, the quirky character who like, I don't care. is like going to be filmed at parties without masks on and stuff like that uh, and, and get it. But, um, but I mean, I think for the most of when the, when the, you know, the Oklahoma team has been practicing for however long and this is college, but whatever, they don't have a positive test as far as we know. Um, I'm sure there's some teams we haven't even heard of that just aren't going to the newspapers and being like, Hey, we don't have any positive tests. We're doing a great job. Uh, I, do, do you feel like maybe this is a little bit overblown? I mean, there are going to be some, but it's not going to be destroyed, or am I totally wrong about this? Just because of that football player mentality. Uh, I can see both sides of it. You know, I can see the perspective that the players will, you know, do what the NBA has done. Like, listen, man, if we're going to make this thing work, we all have to buy in. And that's something that even without COVID-19, people tend to say in you know, training camps or OTAs, like, listen, if we're going to win a championship, we all have to buy into everything that's going to go on. And I think with this is even more so that guys have to buy in. Like, you can't be out there being reckless because it's not that your recklessness can cost us a football game. You can cost someone essentially their life or you can cost some this entire season, you know, if we have an outbreak. So I think I hope that players will take that responsibility. But on the other side, you see how the rest of the country is. Like We can't even get on the same page with, you know, direction from the health department on what is going to work and help, you know, slow the spread, so to speak. People want to debate that. I'm more worried about these coaches. You know, the coaches, I think, would be the biggest reckless and perpetrators of of this. You know, <laughs> really? I, coach, I swear coaches, you know. Because old habits are hard to break. And a lot of these guys are old old school cats. They're rigid, you know. And and so they'll be the ones that'll end up causing a lot of... I mean, you see stories starting to come out now about uh, Doug Peterson and where he potentially could have contracted the virus. Um, there was a story today on, I think, Yahoo, where the guy it was speaking under the under anonymity that uh, they could have reported their coach, their head coach, 10 times already for things he hasn't been able to, he wasn't supposed to be doing just from a protocol standpoint. So I'm more worried about them than anybody else. You know, the players tend to, they could police themselves and, uh, but coaches, I, I, I would be more worried about them breaking protocol and, and getting themselves sick. Great. All right. Well, thanks for that shot of optimism. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Let's get to Bryce Love because I hadn't thought a lot about him. And I, so there were a couple things that happened almost all at the same time. Is that one you you wrote about Bryce Love, and how he can take a chunk out of that uh, backfield. Um, and then I was talking to someone about potential Adrian Peterson landing spots. Like I'm talking about trading away Adrian Peterson uh, because they have 
so many good pieces, I guess, in that backfield. But the part that I liked about Bryce Love that you brought up was that he's kind of like the Chris Thompson replacement in a way. Um, I, I'd never thought like of even considering Bryce Love before. And then, you know, I'm in a couple of these best ball drafts and just kind of nudged him up a little bit in the queue because of that as a kind of a later round pick. Um, is he like kind of like the next Chris, like Chris Thompson's down with Jacksonville now? Is he like the next Chris Thompson or is this he's a little more? I think he's like the next Chris Thompson. And the Redskins, I'm sorry, the Washington football team did a good job of protecting themselves by bringing in J.D. McKissick, you know, just in case if Love wasn't going to be out there. And I think that's the biggest question you have with Washington's um, backfield depth. Yes, on paper, when you mentioned Darius Geis, Bryce Love, those are two prolific college football running backs who are great prospects. But you also have to mention, man, they're, they've been hurt. You know, they've suffered injuries. Can they stay healthy? And so that's why you bring in uh, J.D. McKissick and you draft an Antonio Gibson, who I think is the wild card because, you know, he's making that move from receiver to running back, even though he's going to play sort of a hybrid role. Um, so, I, you know, taking him out the equation, if Bryce Love is healthy and Geis is healthy, I think it makes Washington feel a little bit more comfortable of, of you know, taking some reps away from Adrian Peterson, who's 30 plus years old and using him more situationally as a short yardage goal line back. That's fine. Um, use him how they utilize John Riggins back in the day. Uh, but because if, if Geis is healthy, you want Geis out there because he has explosiveness. Um, if Love is healthy, you want Love out there because he can be just as good of a runner as Geis, although he may not have that same level of burst Geis has, but he's a solid pass protector. We know he can run inside. He did that at Stanford. We know Stanford can go out there with 15 tight ends and a tailback and will literally run the football down someone's throat. So I have no problem with him running the football inside within the run game. And he's solid in pass pro. We know he can catch the football. So that would be the ideal two-back system, but they have to prove that they can be healthy. Uh, but I like that you bumped him up a little bit as a later-round pick because until we see them play, and we won't get the benefit of preseason, unfortunately, but after a couple of weeks of the season, if let's say after three three games, if Geis is proven to be sturdy and Love is, is you know doing the most of what he gets as far as touches are concerned, then yeah, I can see him being that, that number two guy with Gibson being the wild card, kind of like how I envisioned them using Bowden over in uh, Las Vegas. I see that for Gibson in his role because he's more of a receiver than a running back, in my opinion. He's more of a jet sweep guy. He doesn't have the natural running instincts. That's why I bumped Bryce Love over him. Um, so, And also the whole pass pro thing. You you have to really understand that from a running back's perspective and not be a receiver thrust into the backfield and ask to pick up a blitz. That will never happen. Um, right. So I, 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 you know, I think it would, I think the person I would be more worried about would be Peterson. If he's not, um, you know, if, if those two guys prove to be healthy, because Peterson could be the guy that they could really relegate to a short yardage goal line back. Just sticking with the Washington football team, actually, another thing that you, you'd said a couple of times this preseason that stuck with me is that, you know, so, for those of you who don't know Emery that well yet, like when he, he kind of hones in on someone, uh, like it was Lamar Jackson, it was Patrick Mahomes, it was Tariq Cohen, um, and like he just keeps like kind of hammering it until it happens. And then you're like, oh, it's too late now because he broke out. Um, or is it a humongous superstar? Um, the guy I'm hearing a lot from Emery this preseason, and actually last season was Dwayne Haskins. And so there are a few things here I think that you could bring into this Dwayne Haskins talk. One, uh, you just think he's just totally being underrated and blown off by everybody. But two, um, I, I think like the idea that you just kind of gotten into there, like without a preseason, Dwayne Haskins has kind of grown up with his young receivers, and they already have a nice kind of cohesion and rhythm. And you know they've 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 kind of been in the system together, even though it's a new system, but they've played together. So they're going to be coming into this without any preseason games. Uh, I guess a step ahead of everyone else because of that. So yeah, uh, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. That's that's my prompt for you. Go, Emory. Go. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're right. Is you know normally we're talking about these young quarterbacks having to build cohesiveness with the unit and get the timing down. But the good part about what Washington did last year was the fact that they played all those young guys: McLaurin, Harmon, who's now going to be out with the 
you know, Achilles, I believe, or ACL, I think it was. Um, Steven Sims, all those guys were rookies last year. And they also, he also played with Trey Quinn. So he got the timing down in real live game reps. So they can go back and watch film and say, hey, we did this X, Y, Z against, you know, team Bay, team A. We can go back and now do A, B, and C. Um, now that we already seen this and this is how they're going to try to play us and attack us. And then you toss in, you know, uh, the rapport he's built with Jeremy Sprinkle, um, Trey Quinn, um, you know, so he has a jump start. He's played with that offensive line. You know, granted, they're going to have some new pieces on the left side, both at guard and tackle, but the right side, along with the center of that offensive line, has stayed intact. So there's a lot of positive things for Haskins around him. And now you combine all of those things with a coach that actually wants to see him have success and actually wants him to play and actually acknowledges his talents and building around his skill set. I don't see how many other people are not seeing the this meteoric rise he's going to have. And you can't forget that he was a, a, a tremendous talent. I mean, this guy broke all the, of the big 10 passing records. And this is a, a you know, a conference that had Drew Brees, uh, Brian Greasy, um, you know, Bob Greasy, I'm sorry. Uh, Jim Brian Everett, <laughs> you know, you, you look at all of the quarterbacks that played in the big, even Brian Greasy was pretty good at Michigan, but his dad is who I'm, who I'm referring to. But you look right. at all the, the premier passers coming out of the big 10 and Haskins in a single season just destroyed that. And we saw we saw then what we saw a little bit last year at Washington, you know, when Haskins was in and when Urban Meyer was controlling the offense, still trying to make Dwayne Haskins beat JT Barrett when that's not Haskins game. When Ryan Day took over, he allowed Dwayne Haskins to be Dwayne Haskins. And that's when you started to see him just average four to five touchdown passes a game in route to being a Heisman finalist. And one could easily argue had they been allowed to go to the playoffs or if they were to beat Purdue, um, but Ohio State's defense, which was garbage all season, couldn't stop Rondell Moore. Haskins could have won the Heisman Trophy that year. So we're talking about a tremendous talent. And it's funny that everyone now, first everyone knocked quarterbacks like Lamar Jackson because, oh, you know, they just run around. They just eventually going to get hurt. You need to to be able to, to win from the pocket. Well, here is the quintessential classic drop back passer. And now it's become... Well, you got to be able to move around like Lamar Jackson. You got to be able to run. So the goalposts <laughs> yeah. continue to move. Uh, yeah. But Haskins going to be fired this year. Well, you mentioned his skill set. What is his skill set? Accuracy. What is, what is, I mean, you've you've got pages and pages of scouting on every player, and uh, I've seen them. But like, what is what is that skill set that we're talking about? He's decisive in his throws, man. And you can there's a difference between being a an act, you know, a decisive passer and. Um, a cons- uh, you know a confident passer. I think Haskins is a blend of both. He's a confident, decisive passer. Like I'm throwing this ball here because this is where it should go. I can fit it in there. This guy is going to make the catch. I don't care what's around him. This is going to be a completion. You know, you juxtapose a guy that's saying, "Okay, this is the right throw. I'm gonna make it." You know, and make it like that. But Haskins has that confidence. You know, he stands tall in the pocket. He's not afraid to take a shot. And to me, that should be number one in, in anybody's uh, you know scouting report of quarterback play. Are you afraid or are you not afraid? If you're not afraid, I can win with you. If you are afraid, we're going to have to do so much to win games, i.e. Jared Goff, you know, afraid to take a hit. Right. Jimmy Garoppolo, afraid to take a hit. But when you have a quarterback that's fearless, even if you're not talented, I could have won with Tebow, you know, because he wasn't afraid. Even though he may not have the physical skills of a Garoppolo or a golf, but at least I know he's tough. And if that's the case, because football is all about pressure situations. And if you don't fold under pressure, Haskins never did at Ohio State. He didn't fold under the adverse situations he was in Washington last year. I know he's mentally tough. I know he's physically tough. Everything else will work itself out because he does have talent. I mean, who's his comp? Like, it's it, the the upside of Dwayne Haskins. Is it Brett Favre? Like, in a crazy upside, top of the ceiling projection? Like, who, who should be people looking? I think the problem is people think Dwayne Haskins is one player, and he's actually another, if that makes sense. I And, 
you know, I'm I'm a football junkie, so I look at Haskins, man. I just see Warren Moon, like how he right. just throws, you know, just a confident thrower. Uh, the spiral is beautiful, you know. It's just he's just he just has the the it, you know. And it, I, I just think that when you look at him from from that perspective, to me that that's the guy. He's gonna he's gonna work intermediate to to deep down the field. The short passes are a given, but I think where he really does damage and where he really did damage at Ohio state was working that intermediate area of the field and then going deep down the field with those beautiful rainbows. And so him being able to excel in the intermediate area of the field, that's your 10 to 15 yard area. That's to me great. That's ideally what you want in the NFL. He's consistent. There is not like it's hit or miss with let's say a guy like a Josh Allen or, you know, a player of that nature. He is very consistent in that area. It's almost like Carson Wentz in that intermediate area of the field. He he is flawless there uh, where he's, I think, has a bit of an advantage over Wentz. He's probably a little bit better of a deep ball thrower than Wentz. Uh, but when you're talking about excelling in the intermediate area, Wentz does it well. Haskins does it well. A, a guy like, I think Cam Newton does that really well. Um, just throwing the ball right there in the middle of the field. Um, now, if you can connect both intermediate and deep, that's when you have your Patrick Mahomes. But I do think Haskins is a is a premier talent. And, and, you know, that's why he was my number one quarterback coming out of last year. And people are quick to run into uh, prisoner of the moment and not see this thing through. And I think you'll see the same stories written about Haskins this year that we saw written about Lamar Jackson after, you know, year two or in the middle of the year when everyone jumped on the bandwagon they'll jump on the Haskins bandwagon as well. Yeah, and they'll forget where they heard it first, right? Exactly. And they also forget oh. that they uh, ever knocked Dwayne Haskins, too. Yeah, exactly. Those tweets have been deleted. Um, really quick, I want to bring in our producer, Derek Van Riper. Um, he slacked me a, a, a quick follow-up question for you, but uh, I'm like, well, you just ask it because you like he watched him at Ohio State. So, DVR, uh, jump on in, man. Hey, DVR, how's it going? <laughs> Thanks for bringing me on. <laughs> Nice to be uh, out from behind the glass, so to speak. But uh, Emery, I mean, I've watched a lot of Dwayne Haskins being in the Midwest. I'm a Big Ten guy. Went to school at Wisconsin. Uh, so Ohio State's probably the team I watch most after Wisconsin. They're on here all the time. And I was nodding along as you were talking about Haskins and what he does really well. And I think the hang-up for me is the supporting cast. Terry McLaurin looks like a legit number one receiver. I think he showed us that last year. But you start looking at Steven Sims, uh, Antonio Gandy-Golden, Dontrell Inman, Trey Quinn. The tight end situation there looks pretty bad, too. Do you think the supporting cast could be part of an issue that would prevent Haskins from getting all the way to that level in year two? I, I don't think so. And, you know, that's a great point because people look at what can help a quarterback. They look at tight end. And Sprinkle have you know Sprinkle is not the best option there, which is why I think people need to really pay attention to Thaddeus Moss who may not be the most athletically gifted like his father, but you didn't see him drop passes at LSU, and I think he can be that guy for them in this offense. Um, but as far as everyone else, if you think of it in this from this perspective, all I need you to do is to do your job. So it would be nice to have a Julio Jones and a Calvin Ridley and you know uh, all of these other talents, a Laquan Treadwell, um, a, you know, a Hayden Hurst, but that only highlights the fact that you as the quarterback really can't do your job effectively. Um, now I'm, not talk, I'm not talking about Matt Ryan, but let's use a more practical sense. Look at all of the explosive weapons Jared Goff has around him. And, you know, despite of all of that talent at tight end and also at receiver, you look at that offense and say Goff is the problem. So even if you don't have household name type receivers, I think you can still be productive and get the job done. And because he has a huge amount of uh, rapport with McLaurin that goes all the way back to college, no one talked about Steven Sims Jr. going into the league. I did. I had a pretty high grade on him as a slot receiver. He was able to make him a thing and develop really good rapport down the stretch of the season. People don't talk about Antonio Gandy-Golden, who's going to be the biggest receiver on their roster uh, that has that opportunity to be that um, that pace setter, you know, that consistent guy within their offense. Hey, you know, 10 yards, come back, get the football, keep the offense on pace. I think they have a better chance 
um, than people are giving them credit for because of some of the pieces and, and what they went through last year. DVR, next time you want to jump on the show, have a good question, all right? Don't get dunked on. <laughs> 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 no, but, uh, hey, uh, but before uh, – I know I should have written this down, and I didn't. Uh, if people want to write in – because, I mean, it seems like like that instinct just to jump in and like ask Emery a question is probably going to hit a lot of people listening to the show. Um, is it still fantasy pods at theathletic.com? Yeah, that'll get here. I think tweeting directly at you is probably the best way to get questions in for Tuesdays, though. You could also do that. <laughs> Feel free. At Nando DeFino. <laughs> he loves yeah. Twitter. That's right. Uh, more than anything, uh, more than comment sections. Uh, <laughs> Why is everyone afraid of the comment section? I love the comment section. Well, yeah, because you're like the king of the comment section. You like, got to get like, in there and get in the mix. I've never seen someone, I guess, disarm commenters so deftly as Emery Hunt. It's like, <laughs> and I've, I've told you this before. I've sent you texts. Like, just the way you respond, and then it's just kind of like, in real life, the person will be like, uh, 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 great column, though. I respect your work. Like, it's just, it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had that skill. Well, listen, man, that's, that's, you know, we grew up in a different era. You know, this, I think this era is now more afraid of the, the, uh, comment section and, and people snapping back at them than, hey, sometimes you gotta, if someone comes with a respectful question, or a disagreement. I'm, I'm always respectful. I'll, but if they come in with a hot take, uh, you know what? I have no problem sending that thing right back out the yard. You know, so you just gotta, you, you gotta be able to, to be able to do both, man. Like it's fun. It's fun. I mean, at, at the end of the day, these are people commenting on something that you wrote. They felt passionate about something that you wrote to make a comment, even if they didn't read it. But the fact that they took the time to comment, whether it's a hot take or something stupid or something complimentary. Yeah, you know, especially if I'm in the middle of doing something because you know I'm super busy, right? So yeah. in the middle of doing something, yeah, I can respond to every comment. You know what I'm saying? And after a while, it the only things that that tend to get me is when people, uh, you know, try to show you that they know more than you or tell you, no, this is how it's gonna go. I don't have time for that because I know at the end of the day, the games will be played, and then I'm gonna be right, and then you can come back and not comment again. So <laughs> you just. De- one of my favorite things that you've ever done, there wasn't there like a the Lamar Jackson column from like <laughs> a year and a half ago, and I don't even know how I found it. Maybe did you send me a screenshot or something? Because there's no way it would have popped up onto my radar. Yeah, I but, sent you a screenshot of it. Yeah, <laughs> there are comments. Emery Hunt is commenting, you know, from three minutes ago on a column that's two years old, being like, "Hey, how'd that turn out for you?" Or something <laughs> like that. It was just like, "Sup." <laughs> it was the world tour. It was awesome. Because the guy was uh, like, oh, there's no way in hell this he's going to be, he can't throw, he this, this, and this. So he's winning the MVP, and I just replied back, sup. <laughs> <laughs> it was the greatest. It, was, it feels good, though, right? I mean, you know. It does. Whatever, I mean, it feels it, good. I mean, when you're, because people spend so much time, I think, and I saw some great comments on the article that I have out there now. People were saying, like, man, you just, I like how positive your articles are. Or your nice. outlook is, uh, yeah. yeah it is, it's to me, it's always a positive outlook because I, I, I'm a naturally positive person, and I think right now in society, you know, it's been over the, a couple of years. I just think in general, people tend to view it, in, you know, life in the negative sense. They always are cynical and look at it from a negative perspective, and as it pertains to sports, it's. Yo, like okay, I, right? Yeah, it's like, yo, I yeah. know this guy. I know Jared Goff can't handle pressure well. I understand that. That's a given. But how can I help him be successful? Because I'm not going to sit here and dwell on the fact that he can't, you know, face pressure. So what we can do to, you know, accentuate what he does well and to help him out is let's find a running game. Let's get some backs in there. Let's try to get the ball out of his hands quickly because he does that well. He's accurate in the short area of the field. That's my approach to it. Like, uh, let's find a solution, you know, yeah, it's obvious that he, you know, if they blitz him, it could all fall to pieces. So let's try to mitigate that by finding ways to beat the blitz. And so taking that perspective allows you to see the good in every player. Yeah, I don't. Th- maybe this was you who said it, but I mean, I'd always kind of thought this too. Like when you're looking at a football team and you're looking at you know the composition of it right now, the next guy up was probably like third team All American, you know, or like all all conference first team. Um, so you're not replacing these guys with scrubs. You're replacing them with dudes who were the top of their game in college. And everyone has some kind of skill 
Like, you know, like maybe you think Jared Goff's a bum, like just generally, but he's got these skills, like you said, that, you know, you can just kind of build around better. So it's it's not like these guys suck. They've worked really hard to get where they are. They were the top of their game, obviously in high school, excelled in college enough to get drafted or UDFA or find their way onto a team. And they're just, you know, someone's just like slightly better than them or slightly fits the system better than them. Um, so there's, you're always going to find something good, I think, right? Yeah, and I tell because to me, there's no bad player in the NFL. Number right. one, even when I do my video scouting reports and show the grades and and what the grades mean, you know, you never see the word backup. Because to me, there are no backups in the NFL. They're just starters and waiting. Because if you view yourself as a backup, that's what you're going to be. But if you view yourself as a guy that is just waiting to get his opportunity because I can start, then that's how you're going to play. And so you you can only put 11 guys out there on the field, you know, and there's only 53 guys on the roster. So there's always going to be talented players that can start everywhere. And so on an NFL team, yeah, you may lose something going from Dwayne Haskins to Kyle Allen, but let's look at what Kyle Allen does well and build around that to help keep this team moving in the right direction. You know what always got me, and I, the Ravens are like the first team to do this in forever, is backing up Lamar Jackson with RG3. Um, and not like I think Lamar Jackson's going to get hurt, but it just seems for me like the system, you know, if you've got a quarterback and, you know, Greg Roman running quarterback guy, run, run, run all day, doesn't pass a lot, um, wouldn't you put his backup in the same mold as him? Right? Like, so you got Tom Brady. Wouldn't you back up Tom Brady with, like, a fake Tom Brady? Um, it's, it got me with the Colts, actually. When uh, when Luck retired and you bring in Jacoby Brissett, um, and, you know, you're kind of like, oh, you know, I figured Luck ran a bit, man. Like, so th- it's kind of like the same kind of backup in here who could just pick up the system. Uh, I never got, like, why they didn't do more of that, like the Lamar Jackson to RG3 kind of backup. It didn't make a lot of sense to me. A lot of it is ego, and a lot of it is, you know, guys are – some coaches are always married to their scheme as opposed to personnel. The good coaches understand personnel, and that goes back to what we talked about earlier. The best player will play, and you want to make sure – you have the best team. So if I'm going into the draft, people, oh, that's just a seven-round pick. No, fool, you only get seven picks in the draft. I'm trying to find the best seventh-round pick I can find because I'm viewing this pick as a guy, one of, because you only get, what, 260 picks in an NFL draft. There's about, you know, 4,000 draft-eligible college players that are baseline, like you talked about, the top of their their class or their team, uh, really good players. I get a chance to get us, you know, one one of the small percentage of very good players. I'm gonna every. I want every pick. I don't. I don't want trade picks away. I want all my picks because I want my entire team to be talented. That Rams team, offensively, when you look at their depth chart, you're like, damn, that's a talented team. You know, so yeah, they lose Gurley, but man, I I really like Daryl Henderson and I really like Cam Akers. Oh, they lost, you know, Brandon Cooks. Well, damn, they got. Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, uh, Josh Reynolds, J.J. Koski is an undrafted free agent out of Cal Poly. That's tremendous. They drafted Van Jefferson, who's awesome. It's like, man, so I always thought in terms of that, if you continue to continue to draft well, your team would never be terrible. That's why we haven't seen the Pittsburgh Steelers um, have a losing season under Mike Tomlin. That's why we always see New England, even though they don't draft well, the coach is not doesn't have an ego to where he's not uh, – too big to move away from a player that's not being productive. Um, so it, either you are a great talent evaluator and accumulating talent, or you are a great coach and understand how to get the most out of your talent and not afraid to play the best guy. Cause that's also a thing that factors into why a lot of teams aren't like, why would it take someone so long to not give Tariq Cohen the football? You know, why are you trying to make him a wide receiver when you just saw him do great things as a running back? So there's things about coaches and teams that, that explain why you see what you see out there on the field. Man. Uh, so we've gotten through about half of the rundown. So I can tell you what you're going to hear on this show next week. Uh, Cause we've basically run out of time, <laughs> but uh, I want to, I want to ask you some questions next week preview for anyone who's made it this far. Um, and why wouldn't you have, I want to talk about Deandre Hopkins and this Bill O'Brien thing and people just assuming that this is going to ruin Houston but maybe, maybe DeAndre Hopkins is an issue. Uh, who knows? Um, I'd like to get into people wanting the next Lamar Jackson, but forgetting that you know you can still have the next Patrick Mahomes, and maybe Kyler Murray is really the, like the next Patrick Mahomes. 
um, or someone else. Uh, and I want to talk a little bit of the Browns' backfield. I think would be cool to talk about because Kareem Hunt, I have a theory that he's just going to play in the slot a ton, and it's not going to hurt Nick Chubb as much as people think it is, um, especially look at the way their receivers are composed right now. Um, then, uh, you know, this wasn't on the rundown, but I want to ask about Jordan Howard fitting in with those Dolphins because I've been grabbing him in a lot of leagues at the right time. I think uh, he's kind of underrated in my eyes. I know you weren't a huge fan, but maybe in a different situation on a different team that runs a different way, um, it could be. So anyway, all that and more. We're going to get into the Rams' backfield, too, a little deeper, I think. That's kind of a cool one to get into, especially because you like Daryl Henderson. Once again, I've been picking him up earlier than most people, maybe two or three rounds ahead of where he's been going because of Emory Hunt. Um, and that's the kind of show we're going to be giving you. Like, I hope you take notes if you're driving. I hope you have a good memory uh, because you can just come home and jot them down, push these guys up your queue. This, is, this show should be called Push These Guys Up Your Queue. But <laughs> it is the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. If you like what you're hearing and you want to read Emery, check him out at theathletic.com slash pod. That'll get you 40% off a subscription, so it's like 36 bucks for all of The Athletic. And then check out footballgameplan.com, please. Check out the YouTube page too, Emery, right? That's just Football Game Plan on YouTube? Yeah, on YouTube, subscribe. Click that subscribe button, man. We're, we're right at 19,000 subscribers, so great uh, authentic subscribers too. So uh, we don't go out there and cheat like some people in other companies do. So it's all authentic yes. here. I would also like to note, like clicking a subscribe on something is more like doing a favor to someone you like, because you can then just go in and mess with the settings if you don't want to get these alerts all the time. So it's just like a nice gesture in many ways uh, to help them out. So do that. Also give Emory a follow F ball game plan. Give the athletic uh, fantasy group a follow at the athletic FS. Uh, we do tweet a, a good amount, so get ready for that in your feed. But it's all good stuff coming your way. Um, good first show, Emery. Great first show, Emery. Excellent job, Nando DeFino. Thank you so much. I enjoyed and it. And Derek out there on the producer side of it. Excellent yeah, job. Shout Excellent out DVR. Work. The Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. We're going to be here all year with kind of like a, a nice assortment of podcasts and hosts and analysts coming your way. So, uh, uh, you know, subscribe to that too. I know we're asking you to do a lot here at the end of the show, but, this- <laughs> <laughs> uh, but don't worry, it's all good. This is free, it's all right. Like, yeah, you get it for free, and the little things, uh, you know, don't mean anything. So, hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Hope you learned some stuff. Uh, as you can see, like, we're going to be getting into a lot, a lot, and it's actionable and it's fun, and it's almost like this could be your best kept secret throughout the football season. So, for the great. Czar of the playbook, Emery Hunt. I'm Nana Dafino. We will see you next week for more fun.